much. I, I think we may need to get a couple more chairs over there before too long. Hey, Jeremy. Thank you all so much, Worship Choir. Friends, my name is Adam. If we haven't met, it's my joy to be one of the pastors here. It's so good to be together in God's presence. We are continuing our sermon series, Lights, Camera, Christmas. We're taking a look at uh, some of the most beloved Christmas movies. I know that's subjective. Uh, we picked four, four or five, and uh, looking at the truths they reveal, uh, how we can kind of laugh at ourselves amidst the missingness of Christmas. And up this week is the only selection that was made uh, in the 21st century. It's the classic, the modern classic, Elf. The story of Buddy, who was adopted into the North Pole as an elf. Uh, and he discovers that he isn't an elf, but is in fact a human somewhere along the way. And that his long lost biological father is living in New York City. He goes on a quest to reunite with his biological family, and he's sent off by Mr. Narwhal. This is a classic that's repeated in our home all the time. Uh, bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. I think we got a photo of Mr. Narwhal here. I don't know, uh, just a little confession. I didn't know narwhals were, were real until I was like 29 years old. And at the other two services, I was like, yeah, and they've got this horn that comes out. I was also told this is a tooth, not a horn. So you learn something. If that's the only thing you learn in the sermon, there's, that's a problem. But that's a little biological fact for you here at, here at the beginning. So Buddy embarks for New York, and his spirit is on true display. Check it out. And every time it rains, it rains, and it's from heaven. Don't you know each cloud contains banners from heaven? You'll find your fortune falling all over town. Be shining your umbrella. It's up, 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 upside down. And trading for a package of sunshine and ravioli. Macaroni. If you want the thing you love. You did it. Congratulations. World's best cup of coffee. Great job, everybody. It's great to meet you. Hi. Come over here, boy. Sam, and every time it rains, it rains. The coffee thing just kills me every time. You did it. So, you know, he's running around New York City, never been in human society before, and just taking everything in. What, what makes Buddy so endearing is his joy. Like, who has ever said thank you to somebody getting a, giving him a flyer off the street, right? Or, um, you know, who could receive a cup of coffee so exuberantly? Well, it's Buddy the Elf. And so during this week of Advent, we focus on joy as we prepare for Christ's coming, and that's going to be what we'll turn our attention to uh, in this message. And so what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word is that joy isn't about what happens to us. Uh, joy is what happens when we follow Jesus. For me, one of the happiest days of the year is when we put up the Christmas tree and all the ornaments. Uh, we break out the charcuterie board. Uh, we, 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 we got a picture of my, my wife kind of helping Aaron string the lights, correcting them every so often. Uh, we listen to John Denver and the Muppets. We eat snacks. We've got our Patrick Mahomes ornament at the top of our tree, watching or, you know, our family this whole month. Uh, one of the, the, the happiest days of the year for me. I love it. Guess what one of the least happiest days of the year is for me? When we take it all down. That's right. And January starts out such a bummer, man. You got to take the stuff down. 
I spent several years in seminary, which I should tell you is normal. It takes a little while. And uh, <laughs> best 10 years of my life. Um, and every January, I would have this week-long class uh, in Kentucky where my seminary was. And Sarah was so kind, she would wait to take the stuff down until I was gone and did it all herself. So I'm always grateful for that. But isn't it funny how the same thing can make us happy or sad? Love putting up the ornaments, miserable to take them down. Or the Super Bowl, we love it when the Chiefs win, very happy, super happy. But when they lose to Tom Brady, only pain and despair. That's <laughs> all we can experience, despair and loathing. Uh, sometimes, oftentimes, our happiness is tied to outcomes, right? It's, it's situational. Joy is different than happiness because joy, uh, there's, there's security in joy, whatever particular circumstances we're experiencing. We see this in the promise of Jesus in his life and birth and resurrection. And, and when, when you, know, you sit down to, to do a sermon, you think, okay, what's our main scripture gonna be? And it's, it's, there's a little more to it. I'm just like, I don't Google Bible space joy. Let's see what comes up. But what, what kind of emerged, which just never, never had occurred to me or been taught to me or I'd never noticed was joy is a common thread in the entire Jesus episode. That's what we're going to look at today. How it preceded his birth, how it was, it was all throughout his, his birth and, and teachings and death and resurrection. Centuries before Jesus was born, joy was predicted. We read this as a part of our Advent reading. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. And so you have this imagery of this promised great light, this savior who would bring abundance, who would bring victory. And this induced joy upon hearing it for people. It was the joy of Jesus predicted long before his birth. Now months before his birth, joy was previewed by Jesus' extended family. In the pregnancy of his, his mother's cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with a baby named John, later known as John the Baptist. When Mary traveled to see her cousin and told Elizabeth about her own miraculous pregnancy, this is how Elizabeth responded. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. On the night of Jesus' birth, Joy was pronounced to the shepherds. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So leading up to Jesus' birth, Joy was predicted, previewed, and pronounced. 
But then during his ministry, Jesus taught that joy could be available to us when we persevere. He said, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the son of man. That was a title or a way Jesus would refer to himself. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. This is one of those things when, when we read, you know, I don't know about you, but you want to say to Jesus, Jesus, that don't make no sense. Hated, excluded, insulted, rejected. How can, we, how can those things produce a response of joy? This is counterintuitive. Why would Jesus say that? It's because joy goes beyond circumstances. Because what we gain as a result of following Jesus is worth all the hatred and exclusion and insults and rejection we might face. Still coming out ahead. And in addition to that, Jesus says, you're blessed when people do these things to you because of your association with me. And so sometimes when we get these negative responses from people, it can be a sign of confirmation that you're on the right track because people treated Jesus that way. Now, I'm not saying this gives us license to, to be a jerk in Jesus' name and no, like, no matter what we do, people, oh, well, blame it on Jesus. Well, especially in the course of following Jesus, if we're treated this way, we can consider it a confirmation. Particularly as, as students, middle schoolers and high schoolers, sometimes when, when people find out you, you go to church, you're going to youth group or you're lighting candles, I mean, kids can be cruel. Adults can be cruel. And so sometimes it, it serves as a confirmation. Sometimes following Jesus is gonna ruffle some feathers. If I preach 40 sermons a year and don't upset anybody, I'm clearly leaving something on the table, right? And, and so we're blessed when we do these things and when we, when we pay the price of following Jesus, the cost of discipleship, we're blessed because they treated Jesus the same way and all that we gain is worth whatever junk happens along the way. Jesus tells us that not only can, can joy be our possession despite evil being done to us, he also experienced it himself. His joy was found in the purpose of his death and resurrection. This is from Hebrews 12. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him, even though he was enduring a gruesome, shameful death, the joy set before him was his defeat of death in his resurrection. See, he could endure all the stuff they were doing to him because he knew that wasn't the end of the story. The end of the story was the path he opened up to God once and for all through his resurrection. He was looking forward. The joy set before him was the reunion that awaited him as he took his place at the throne. There was joy for Jesus in his purpose. And it was also Jesus' desire that we would possess this joy. While praying to his father shortly before his execution, 
Jesus said, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they, the disciples, and by extension, us, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Later on in the New Testament, we see that joy should be one of the defining marks of a Christian in a very famous list called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Say it with me. Joy, peace, patience, kindness. Oh, just joy is what I was going for. Sorry. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So as his followers, we can possess the same joy of Jesus. And then one of the goals of the Christian life is joy eternal. That, that we would one day, this is kind of the goal for me and for a lot of Christians. Maybe you haven't thought of it this way, but I like to, that one day we too would hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. And so this thread of joy is found all throughout the story of Jesus. From before he arrived to the night of his birth, it's, it's in his teachings, and it was at the center, the joy set before him of his death and resurrection. It should be one of the defining characteristics, joy, of people that follow Jesus. Friends, when people think of Christians, is joy one of the first things that comes to mind? I'm not sure it is either. But it should be. Now, I made a mental note not to go on a rant about how joyful we should be. So I'm going to try and keep the, keep the blood pressure low, right? But this is what we should be known for. And especially at Christmas, you know, sometimes, maybe, maybe here's one of my sermons that I'll have somebody send me an email. There's, you know, all this business about the war on Christmas, and we have all these kind of confrontational bumper stickers about Christmas. I'm just not sure those are helpful. I, that could be subjective, maybe. I don't think they're joyful. Who does that serve? You should be joyful this Christmas. Keep the reason for the season. It is catchy. It rhymes. That's about it. Right? Like, I'm just not sure that that puts our most joyful foot forward. When people think of Christians as joy, the first thing that comes to mind. I don't think it always is. It needs to be. And, and, and I want to focus for a moment here together on kind of this, how, how, how we define joy. Right? Like, we're not talking about, joy goes deeper than whatever circumstances we're experiencing. But the joy we're trying to describe is more than willful denial or juvenile naivete. Like joy isn't pretending nothing's wrong. I'm just, don't worry, be happy. That's, that's delusion. That's not joy. And that's part of what makes Buddy the elf so charming. But it's also problematic. Bill, uh, Billy, Buddy is oblivious. He... he He's, he's, it's almost like this childlikeness to him, which is endearing, but he's, he, he has no idea what he's stepping into, what's going on. He's just happy to be there. So that's, having joy does not mean we're naive. 
It doesn't mean we pretend like nothing's wrong. Christian maturation and the possession of joy, it doesn't deny current circumstances, it transcends them. That's a big difference. As a pastor, I, I get the privilege of, of, from time to time, folks kind of peeling back the curtain and talking about what's really going on and some challenges they're facing. One of the things I am just certain of, the, the only thing I know for sure in doing ministry is that we have no idea what folks are going through. Well, as a pastor, sometimes you do have some small idea and, and folks will come in and have a conversation. Again, usually some challenging things. That could be a long list, uh, a diagnosis, uh, a crisis of some sort, um, grief. They've, they've had someone pass that they loved, a job loss, a breakup, could make a long list, whatever it might be. And then I get to see these same people singing in the choir or helping lead music in our band or teaching a Bible study or I get to see and hear them in worship praying sincerely. And, and I have to tell you, it's so inspiring to know what folks are going through and then see their faithfulness on display even though most folks would have no idea. These folks know that joy isn't only ours when circumstances are good. These folks know that sometimes the joy of the Lord is all we got. That's all we got to hold on to. And I get to see it with you all. Friends, joy isn't about what happens to us. Joy is what happens when we follow Jesus. Dictionary.com defines joy as the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Further defined as keen pleasure, elation. In the New Testament, the word in Greek most commonly translated into English as joy is kara. That means joy or delight. But it can also refer to a source of joy. And so what I'm proposing to you is it's not our circumstances that give us joy, it's a person. That's the source of joy. Because we all know that circumstances aren't always gonna be exceptionally good. You know that from experience. And Jesus tells us that life and our circumstances won't always be exceptionally good. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Not if, you will have trouble. But we can find delight in the exceptionally good thing, not being our circumstances all the time, but what is exceptionally good is the grace that comes from Jesus, offered to us in his life and death and resurrection. And that all started at Christmas. So I wanna give you a spoiler alert. Elf is 18, 18 years old, so it's kinda of on you, right? But uh, at the end of Elf, Buddy is reconciled with his biological family. They were estranged, now they're reconciled. Reconciliation is at the heart of Jesus' mission. This good news of great joy that the angels proclaimed to the shepherds, that good news is that despite our sinful circumstances, Jesus was born to bring us back to God. This is from Colossians chapter one. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. 
Friends, the good news that was proclaimed at Christmas means that it's not what we've earned or somehow anything we've done that determines our standing with God. It's what, what determines our standing with God isn't what we have done for God, but on what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Before Jesus' birth, joy was predicted by the prophet Isaiah. We got a big old long list and they all start with P. I was super excited about this. Alliteration is divine. Predicted by Isaiah that people would rejoice like, like people at the harvest. Abundance of joy. Joy was previewed by Jesus' own family. And little baby in utero, John the Baptist, leaping for joy. Joy was pronounced by the angels at Jesus' birth. Jesus tells us that joy can be ours if we can persevere like he does. Joy was at the heart of the purpose of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus prayed and Paul described that joy can be possessed by us, that we can take hold of it and we can find hope in the perpetual joy in his presence in eternity. Friends, joy isn't about what happens to us. Joy is what happens when we follow Jesus. May his joy be ours this Christmas. And everybody said, amen. amen.